Um, if you don't know this about me, uh, I am a very, very big football fan. Um, so, like, I'm counting down the days to uh, to training camp and and to to the fall and everything else. Um, but one of my, I, I, so obviously it's 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 a certain college team on Sunday uh, on Saturday, Nichols, and then a, a certain pro team on on Sunday, um, which is the Saints. I've already looked ahead. Don't worry. Um, this year, there are no Sunday evening Saints games. So it's like the Lord knew that I was going to be stationed here. It was great. <laughs> um, I, I, as I reflect, though, on that fanhood and that, that fandom that I've had of watching the Saints over the years, um, one of the most important days in all of Saints history, we will know this. If you're a true Saints fan, you know this date. February 5th of 2017. February 5th of 2017, if you're a true Saints fan, you know exactly what it is. And if you're wondering, well, that, that had nothing to do with the Saints, I'm going to say two numbers and you'll completely understand. 28 and 3. Some people are sitting there, I don't know what you're talking about, Father. Most people are looking at me like, I have no clue. 28 to 3 was the score midway through the third quarter of Super Bowl 45, I want to say it was, when the Patriots were losing to the Falcons. And the Falcons choked away the game. And if you are a true Saints fan, you celebrated that day as if it was the Super Bowl you won yourself. Because a true Saints fan hates the Falcons. Amen? That's what I like to hear. Amen on that one, right? A true, a true Saints fan cannot stand the Atlanta Falcons because they are our rival and they are gross, right? They build this brand new stadium and they call it Mercedes-Benz Stadium and we had the Mercedes-Benz Superdome. So you know what we did? We changed the name of the Superdome. That's what happens, right? No, we can't stand the Falcons. And we know this about sports, that whenever you don't like, when you have your team, you don't want to watch your team's rival do good no matter what, even if it means Tom Brady wins another Super Bowl, right? Because whenever we have a rivalry, it does not matter what happens. It doesn't, it doesn't matter if we win or not. We just don't want them to win. No chance. I'm not okay if Atlanta would be hoisting a Super Bowl banner. Ugh, that'd just be gross. It's weird. It shouldn't happen. Because there's something about rivalries that are, that are a lot of fun. There's something about, I'm so invested into this one thing that, you know what, I like to root against someone else. As of February 5th, 2017, every Saints fan cheered. But by February 6th, if not by February 7th, every Saints fan didn't care. Because it, just, it, it, it was awesome to watch the team that we don't like lose, but that was about it, and it was flat, and it was over, and great, and the Patriots again, right? Because there's something about cheering against, or saying what we're against, that while it might have some kind of impact, it's usually short-lived, and, and it's over pretty quickly. On the other hand, February of 2010... Saints fans are still riding high now, so almost 15 years later, right? From a Super Bowl, especially when we got to watch Peyton Manning get knocked on his butt, right? At the very end, it was just great. It was beautiful. 
Saints fan, some, some diehard Saints fans will watch Tracy, the highlight of Tracy Porter running for his touchdown, and all of a sudden you start seeing tears come out of their eyes because they never thought they would see it because pigs have flown and the Saints won the Super Bowl. Hell froze over, right? All those good things. <laughs> but it's because there's, there's a bigger impact when you're for something than when you're just against something. Might seem like a kind of elementary example, or kind of kind of a ridiculous example, but I think it shows something powerful that there's something about being for something as opposed to being against something. Today in our gospel, when Jesus is talking, when he is proclaiming this gospel, he's talking about when he uses this this parable of the good Samaritan. Every one of us has heard this parable a million times. And every one of us probably, it, it's just like, oh yeah, it's the same one. Yeah, the priest and the Levite, and they walk by, but the Samaritan. If, if we don't understand the context of today's gospel, we can miss the message that Jesus is trying to get at. And I think, personally, that this is one of the most important messages that the gospel has for us, especially today. Because we got a culture that knows all the things that we are against. But we have a culture that does not know what it means to live for. Let's break open the gospel. Think about the context that Jesus is at. He's preaching, he's speaking, right? He's teaching his people. And this scholar of the law comes up to him. This biblical scholar who knows the Old Testament, who knows the Scriptures, he comes up, and what he's going to do, he doesn't come just to ask Jesus' opinion. He's coming to test him. He's coming to try and catch him. He wants to try and see if he can make a fool out of Jesus in front of all these people. Prove him wrong. He says to him, what's the most important commandment? Jesus, in his way, throws the question right back and says, what do you say it is? And he gives the rote answer of all Jews. So, piece of scripture from the book of Deuteronomy, known as the Shema. Everybody knows it, everybody prays it. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, and your neighbor as yourself. Very simple. Very easy exchange. But then he pushes it a little bit further. And he says, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? That is the question that is kind of the, um, the linchpin of this entire gospel. Is who is my neighbor? Now, a little bit of context for us. We hear about the Levite. We hear about the Old Testament. We hear about the Old Testament temple priests. Those two would have been the two that those would have been two of the people that would have been doing the service in the in the temple. The priest actually offering the sacrifice. The Levite would have been there, kind of helping out and kind of assisting with everything. So we have the Levite and we have. The, we have the Levite and the priest, the two that are supposed to be attached to the temple. They have, a, they have a necessary role in temple worship. They're supposed to be the leaders. They're supposed to be the examples of what it means to be a Jew and to live out that central form of Scripture, that, simp- that central teaching of the Scripture. And they ignore their neighbor. 
but the Samaritan doesn't. Now, when we hear this, we might have, you may have heard from whether you were taught by nuns years, years ago, or whether you heard this in, in Bible class just in the, or a scripture class at some point recently, the Samaritans and the Jews, we might, we might have heard like they didn't get along. They hated each other. They absolutely hated each other. So much so that there's a story that the Jews, that, that the Samaritans would have hidden bones of a human being in the temple to desecrate the temple because a Jew couldn't touch a corpse and then go offer sacrifice. They hated each other. There was an absolute, the, the deepest of rivalries more than you could ever imagine. Make a football game look like a picnic, right? There was this deep rivalry, this deep cultural hatred between these people. So when Jesus picks the Samaritan, when he says a good Samaritan, he's not doing this by accident. He's taking the lowest of the low, the irredeemable, the gross, the profane. And that's who he's picking. And he's saying, the Samaritan did good for the person, for the victim. And I can imagine the, the, the scholar now, at the end, having to just kind of choke back his words and say, the Samaritan was the man's neighbor. The Samaritan was the one that showed mercy. Now, why do I think it's as impactful for us? as a, like, Why do I think this is so important for us as Christians today, living in Thibodeau, Louisiana? Because right now, our world loves to polarize. Our lo world loves to put people in a box and say, those people, irredeemable, gross, profane. And Jesus is looking at His people. He's looking at us today through the Scriptures and He's telling us, wipe that out. There's, not, there's no longer us and them. There's no rivalry here. My mercy is for everyone. My mercy is even for a Democrat. Or a Republican. My mercy is even for the pro-choice person. Or the pro-life. Jesus is saying, my mercy is meant for everyone. They might be wrong. But it doesn't give you an excuse to look at them and say, irredeemable. Nothing. Gross. This is the faith that we profess. And as a Christian in the world, this is what we're called to do. Is we're called to be conduits of Jesus' mercy to the world. 
We're meant to, to be reflections of Jesus' love, His charity to, to, to everyone that we come in contact with. That when we would see somebody, we would see beyond any kind of sexual orientation or skin color or politics or, or whatever. We would look beyond these things and we would first and foremost see a cherished person that God loves standing in front of us. That we might try to love them like He does. We're called to first be their neighbor. To love them as Jesus does. To love the other person as Jesus does. Before ever putting someone in a box. Again, that doesn't say that we're okay with sin. That doesn't say we're okay or that we're foolish or anything like that. But that says that our initial movement is one of love and one of mercy. A beautiful example of this. In many of our lifetime, we, 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 we've seen the images and we know the person of John Paul II. Great saint of the last, uh, of the last century. John Paul II, um, in learning about his life, he's one of my favorite saints, but in learning about his life, there was an assassination attempt on his life. Many people probably remember those days, right? That, That he was shot. And when he was shot, after he recovered in the hospital, one of the first things he he asked to do was to go and face his shooter. This man was a military this man was a military marksman. He was an Olympian a gold medal Olympian marksman. This man was was one who should have killed him. John Paul said that, that Our Lady of Fatima guided the guided the bullet a couple of centimeters away from where he from the widowmaker. But he went, sought out the man, not to condemn him. Not to get angry with him, but that he could reflect God's mercy to him. A man that wanted him dead. Because in that kind of moment, he he was reflecting Jesus on the cross. Everyone looking at him, wanting him dead, condemning him to die, putting him on a cross and mocking him every step of the way. And Jesus still cried out, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Still reflecting the Father's love and mercy. Now, I pray that we wouldn't have to do it in such an extreme way. But saints are not made in the extreme moments. They're tested and proven in the quiet and in the simple moments. This week, God, I believe, is challenging every single one of us to reflect and to be His conduit of love and mercy. So as we come to Mass today, let the Eucharist that we celebrate, the Eucharist that we receive, nourish in us God's love. That we can receive from God not for our own sake, 
but that's so we can reflect it out. You see, the scholar understood. The scholar knew. He got right the relationship with God. But he needed help on who was his neighbor. May we, now on this side of the New Testament, recognize that we need God and that we are called to treat our neighbor as ourselves.